I can't help but say it, you look absolutely incredible, and it's good to see you, and I'm so glad that you guys are so faithful to keep joining us online. So I got to tell you this before I get any further along, okay? I got to remind you of how much God loves you. God dreams about your future. He cares desperately about what happens to you in your life. He knows where you live. He knows what you're thinking about. He knows what concerns you. He's got big dreams for you. I've got two daughters. Ever since they were born, I've dreamed about their future. I love them so much, but only a fraction of how God loves us. And I just got to have you to know this morning again that God loves you deeply. I brought a picture I wanted to show you, okay? Love the picture. It's awesome. Do you like that one? So this is maybe the worst dad joke you've ever heard, but this is what I would look like if I was preaching in skinny jeans. That right there would be me. So I appreciate your laughter. I do. I do. So we're in the season called Lent. We prepare ourselves for Easter. We do that by praying. We do it by fasting. We do it by repentance. We do it by self-denial. We reflect on the life of Jesus, his suffering, and his death. And we seek to become more like him along this journey toward Easter. Do you believe Jesus was a person of great faith? Do you believe Jesus was a person of great faith? You do? Let me think with you about Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross. Believing with everything in him that there was a resurrection in his future. I think that's audacious faith. So audacious would be bold or brave or courageous. I wonder how many people are looking at me right now saying, Rick, in all of these years that I've tried to walk with God, I don't know that there's ever been one time in my journey with him that I really stepped out in faith. I've always kind of played it safe. I've taken it easy. And I wonder how my life would look today had I taken those steps of faith. So there's a study that gained my attention. It's a study of centenarians, people who are 100 years of age, and they were asked one question, and the question was, if you could live your life over, if you could live these last 100 years over, is there anything, anything at all that you might do differently? And so here are some of the answers that came to the top. One is somebody said, or many of them said rather, I would reflect more. As I get older, I see the value in sitting down at the end of a day with a journal and just reflecting on my day. Sometimes I say to my granddaughter Sadie when we're together, you want to talk about the day? And she says, yeah, let's talk about the day. And we remember everything that happened in the day. Another thing they said is I would do more that would live on long after I'm gone. If, if I could live these last 100 years over again, I think maybe that I would spend more time focused on something that would live on after I'm gone. And then the last thing is, I think I would take more risk. I don't think I would play it quite so safe. I think I would step out in faith. So I think I have a really good definition of audacious faith for you. You ready for it? 
Here we go. Audacious faith, I believe, is this. Full surrender to the will of God. I think that takes an incredible amount of faith. Whatever you want me to do, God, I will do it. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. And I'm going to step out and trust you with the rest of my life. So from this day forward, for the rest of my life, I'm going to live my life completely surrendered to your will. So if you did this, do you ever wonder what your life would end up looking like? Where does that take you? What eventually happens? And there's a lot of people listening to me right now saying, Rick, I can tell you what happens. It's an incredible ride because I've been living this way for a while. And I have been surprised at where I've ended up, not just physically, but spiritually. It's amazing what God will do in you and through you and with you if you live your life fully surrendered to him. So let me take you to Matthew, okay? Chapter 16, verse 21. So Matthew is the guy who was the tax collector. He wasn't a guy who went to church every weekend. He never went to church. He wasn't allowed to go to church. He wasn't a nice guy that everybody liked. He was an unkind guy. He took advantage of people because of his position. But he began to live a life surrendered to the will of God in faith, and it changed everything about him. And so Matthew writes down all those events that happened in the life of Jesus, and so here's what he says in chapter 16, verse 1. We're way in the middle of the story. So from that time on, this is after Peter's confession of Jesus, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And he would suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the, day, of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day, be raised to life. Now, this is the only person that I've ever known of in my life who predicted that they would die and then they would be raised to life and actually do it. And that's what Jesus did. So when Peter hears him say this, he's really struggling. You gotta, you gotta hear the struggle in his spirit. Peter takes him aside and he begins to rebuke him. Never, <laughs> Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me right now. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever, wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit or lose their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. 
Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. So I wanted to ask you as we begin to transition into a conversation about the Scripture, um, does anybody in the room have any regrets that you're living with in your life about past choices or decisions? Or, or maybe I should ask the question like this. Is everybody in the room living with some regrets about past choices or decisions that you've made in your life? So when you think about your life and you think about choices that you made and decisions, has there ever been a time where that you were convinced that God really wanted you to do something? You, you had no doubt about it. You knew God was asking you to do something. But for whatever reason, you made a decision to not do it. So, so in your heart, you're convinced this is what God wants me to do, but you decided not to do it. Or, or maybe it was something God wanted you to not do. God was saying, hey, look, 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 hey don't, don't do that, okay? Don't. I mean, I'm telling you, it's not my will for you to do that. I don't want you to do that. But you did it anyway. And, and now you've lived maybe months or maybe years wondering how your life would be different if you had done it God's way. I, I just wish I would have said, okay. I just wish I would have taken that step of faith and just said, okay, I'm going to do it because this is what God wants me to do. Or I would give anything if I just said, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I want to do it, but God's saying no, and so I'm going to walk away from it. I'm not going to do it. And so now you live like your life wondering, I wonder how my life would be different if I had done what God wanted me to do or if I would not have done what God was asking me not to do. And so Simon Peter is, is, is with Jesus, and, and he has just made this big statement. And the statement that he made with Jesus was when people said, who do you believe I am? Simon Peter says, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the son of the living God. It's huge. And so if you believe that, what's the obvious next step? Well, let's, let's head to Jerusalem and let's make Jesus king of Israel, right? And let him confront the authorities and the powers that be and let him defeat all of Israel's armies and finally set things right. We have been ruled over. We have been beat down. We have been given such a hard time, and now Jesus is king. He's God's anointed. He's here. So let's just set the world right, okay? And so Jesus agrees that we should go to Jerusalem. And he agrees that we're going to confront the rulers and authorities. But what he says next, they're not expecting I'm going to die. They're going to put me on a cross. And so the disciples are just, what? I mean, we, we see a future for us. We see you coming in being the king. We see you defeating all the enemies. We see in a great life in our future, but you dying is not part of that plan. I, I think it's kind of interesting. It's at this point that, that somebody is saying, you know, somebody's got to talk to Jesus. He is like, he's out there right now. He's not thinking straight. 
you know, and like somebody finally says, Thomas, maybe you should talk to him. And Thomas says, I, I doubt that he would listen to me. I'm not going to do it. No laughs on that one, I guess. And they said, Peter, maybe you should go back and try again. And Peter says, are you kidding me? He just called me Satan. I'm not saying anything else to him, okay? And Judas says, I'm not going to say anything. He looks at me funny. I'm not saying a word. Man, the humor is just dead in here today. I'm, I'm dying up here. Somebody throw me something. Just give me a, a grin if you can, you know. So let me, let me think with you about this a little bit. You have any enemies you have anybody that would like to, you know, bring you pain in your life, see you hurt, see you suffer? Anybody have any enemies in life? The Bible says you do. Um, the, the Bible says you have an enemy. And the Bible even says what your enemy's name is. The, the Bible says your enemy, this is in First Peter, the devil wants to destroy you. And so, so if you say, Rick, here, here's where I'm at today. I'm at a place in my life that I just want to be the person God wants me to be, and I want to live my life fully surrendered to God. That's the direction I'm going. That's my end goal. That's who I want to be. That's how I want to live. I just want to live my life surrendered to God. Then, then you have an enemy that's wanting to get you to take a hard right turn. He does not want you going that way. And so he's going to flaunt something out here and say, hey, look at this for a while. Or hey, think about this for a while. Or maybe you ought to think about going this direction with your life because he wants to sidetrack you. And he wants to eventually destroy you. He doesn't want you going this direction. He doesn't want you living your life surrendered to God. And so Jesus understands this. Jesus, only in 12 chapters earlier, in chapter 4, he's in the wilderness and, and he uses the S word. He says, Satan. Satan was there to tempt him, to keep him from going that direction. Come on, Jesus. You deserve a little recognition. You deserve a little control. What about your own desires and your appetites? Just trying to get Jesus off, off his main course here. And Jesus recognizes that's who it is again. Same guy, different strategy. And now he's trying to talk to me through Peter. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And, and you don't have in your mind the things of God. So let's just kind of stop there and talk for a little bit, okay? What he's really saying is, Peter, you don't think like God thinks. So could I ask you, do you think you think like God thinks? Do, do, do you do you think like God thinks? You might say, well, I, I would like to think that sometimes I think like God thinks. I've been thinking a lot about the Bible lately. I've been thinking a lot about Scripture. And, and I'm going to just open my heart up to you, okay, for a few minutes here and just tell you that I never believed that in my lifetime I would see the authority of Scripture questioned like it is today. I never dreamed it was possible. In, in, in my mind, we would always have, you know, this. And we could always go back to this. 
And, and, and this would be our authority. There, there, there would always be something solid that we could go back to, that we could build our lives on. But, but I feel like I'm living in a climate today where people say, you know, I, I mean, I open the Bible and, and I hear what God says and um, I just don't know that I agree. I mean, you know, maybe 50 years ago that kind of thinking was okay, but, uh, you know, the world's changing. And I feel like instead of trying to think like God thinks, we try to create a God that will think like we think. So instead of me just saying, God, help me and transform me to think like you think, we keep trying to create a God who is a little more palatable, who I'm a little more comfortable with, who thinks a lot more like I think. God, how can this be sin, and how can this be wrong, and how can this break your heart, and how can this be not good? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so instead of me praying, Lord, help me to think like you think, I find myself just going, no, I, I kind of have this other image of God that I've created and I like this God that I've created a lot better. And so instead of me trying to think like God thinks, I would rather just, just get me a God who thinks like I do. Now, now think about that for a minute. Who wants a God like me and you? I don't want a God that's ever changing. I want a God that's never changing. And what would a God who is like me be worth to anybody? And Jesus says, Peter, you're not thinking like God. You're thinking like a human being. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, here's what God says. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God, I just don't understand some things in my world today. And God says, I get it. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, that's pretty high. So my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God never gave me the challenge of rewriting the Bible. God just calls me to follow. And trust him. So here's the bottom line. I think this is where we're headed today. So if audacious faith is full surrender to God, the enemy will always use anyone or anything to keep you from fully surrendering your life to God. If audacious faith is a life fully surrendered to God, then there is an enemy. You have an enemy. If you're headed in that direction, he's going to try to distract you. The enemy will use anyone, he will use anything to keep you from fully surrendering your life to him. Anybody, anything. So let's go back to that conversation about regrets, okay? You remember earlier I asked you, was there anything that maybe you knew that God wanted you to do and you didn't do it? Or maybe something you knew God didn't want you to do and you did it anyway? Let, let me ask you a different question. Have you ever did what God asked you to do and then regretted it? 
Have you ever said to yourself, hey, this time I knew that God wanted me to do something and I did it and now I'm really sorry I did? <laughs> or I felt like God wanted me to say this and I said it and now I'm sorry. Or I felt like God in his word made something really clear and I went with God and now I just wish I hadn't gone with God. See, never has that happened to me. Never once. Every time, every time, every time, without exception, without fail, when I have done what I believed God wanted me to do, I have always been grateful that I did. And I've never looked back and said, wish I hadn't have obeyed God that time. Not once. Here's what I'm saying. It is the best possible life. So, so Jesus says to Peter, hey, listen, look at me, buddy. Because Peter said, Jesus, you can't do this. This could never happen to you. You can't. Hey, listen, Peter, okay? I know it's not what you want to hear. And it's not going to sound popular with anybody. And it's not easy and it's not comfortable. But what God wants for me, Peter, is the cross. I know you don't want to hear that. I know that's not what you love to hear. But, but, but God's way for me is the way of the cross. And do you know what else, Peter? It's what God wants for you. And do you know what else, Peter? It's what God wants for everybody who wants to be my disciple. L listen to the words again. Okay? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. See, the cross becomes symbolic of, of laying my life down and saying, God, it's, it's now time for me just to surrender to your will, to whatever you want. It, 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 it's, not about, it's not about my desires. It's, it's now just about what you want with me. So I remember when I was a young man, I hadn't been married too long, and Ed and I went to a a Christian concert, and and it was a uh, it was a guy whose name is Steve Green. If if you can't see it, it's pretty awesome right now. An apple just rolled all the way down from the back, all the way down to the altar. It was just it was just beautiful. I'm sorry you didn't get to watch it. I got to see the whole thing. So is your apple on the altar this morning, folks, you know? So I go to hear this guy sing, and his name is Steve Green. He, he was really popular. He, like, had a, a perfect face and a perfect voice, you know? And so I remember, I remember him standing up at one point of the concert and with very little instrumentation, if any, and he sings these words. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. And he repeated them. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. They come right from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when the Apostle Paul says those words. 
I, I don't know how you're processing things, but for me, those are, those are big words. Are you good with those words? Are, are you okay to stand up from where you're sitting right now and just say really loud so everybody in the room can hear you? Are you ready to stand up and say, I am crucified with Christ and therefore I no longer live. It's Jesus that lives in me. It's like I have died and whatever I say is Jesus saying it. Whatever I do, it's Jesus doing it. However I live, it's Jesus living it. It's no longer me, guys. Everything you see in my life is 100% Jesus. Because I have died. I laid my life down on a cross. I'm fully surrendered to God. Yet, That's what Jesus asked of us. See, if, if your mindset about being a Christian is, well, okay, I had this, some really bad sin going on in my life, and I was feeling so guilty over all my stinking sin, and, and finally I just thought, I can't live with this on my chest and so finally, I just, you know, say to Jesus, hey, will you forgive me for all of this sin? I got to get rid of this junk. And, and so I ask him to forgive me. And now, you know, I go to church some and I'm kind of, you know, I do a lot of my own thing anyway still. But, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the Christian thing to some extent. If that's your idea of being a Christian, then you are totally lost of what it is to be a Christian. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple then I'm talking about laying your life down and fully surrendering to what I want for you. And then he gives like benefits or reasons. You remember we started the sermon with God loves you and he dreams about your future and he wants the best life possible. Do you understand that this path is the path to the best life possible? Only one way to get there. And this is it. And he says, here's why, okay? Three reasons why you would take up the cross. Somebody in the room is saying, Rick, I'm tired of existing. I want to truly live. For once in my life, I want to know what it's like to live. Jesus says, if you protect your life, you know, if you just live, you know, safe, if you never take the step, you're going to lose your life. But the only way that you really are going to gain your life is if you lose it for me is if you fully surrender. Second reason, there's nothing more valuable than your soul. I mean, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Or what would you have if you gained the whole world and you lost your soul? How much would you sell your soul for? Your everlasting soul? How much pleasure? How much money? How much recognition? Is a million dollars enough? Would it take two million? Would you trade your soul for five million? Is there anything in this world that compares to the value of your soul? And the third reason 
is because one day you're going to stand before Jesus. Jesus said the Son of Man will come with His angels in all of His glory, and He will reward people according to their deeds on this earth. This life is short. Eternity is forever. And one day you're going to stand before God. I think we always get to the same place. If that's the best life possible for me, if that's really the best life for me, is to live my life fully surrendered to God, stepping out in faith, taking the leap, jumping off, believing He's going to catch me, living my life every day like that. How, how do you do it? So, so here's how I think that you do it. I think it's in this moment saying, God, I surrender full control of my life to you. And I think it's when you get in your car and somebody cuts you off in the parking lot of the church. I think it's in that moment saying, Lord, I still surrender my life to you. And I think it's this afternoon in a challenging conversation where you really want to come back strong, it's saying, Lord, I still surrender to you. What do you want me to say? How do you want me to handle this? And I think it's tonight when you stand at a moment of temptation, it's saying, God, I still fully surrender my life to you. What do you want me to do in this moment? And I think it's tomorrow when you head off to your Monday morning saying, Lord, I still surrender my life to you. What do you want me to do in this moment? Because I will do whatever you ask of me. So let's stand together.